Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research, ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles. Thank you for turning in today. You know, one of the uh, most interesting uh, stories that we all learned in Sunday school, or those of you who have grown up in the Christian environment and the church environment, uh, we sang a song about uh, Zacchaeus. It was a wee little man, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And the and it's a it's a, a nice little uh, children's story and a children's song, but. There is a reality to it. That really did happen. It really did take place. It happened in the city of Jericho. Now, this Jericho was the Jericho of Jesus's day. And it was uh, Jericho number, uh, number 19. And it was uh, Jericho that uh, was actually had been given to Cleopatra as a wedding gift by Mark Anthony. And it was a magnificent city at this time. It was one of the locations uh, on the, uh, the mountains that surrounded this oasis where uh, Jericho was located as a, a horseshoe shape arrangement for the mountains. And they had, uh, uh, they had two walls. Uh, they had one wall that connected where the where the mountains came down to the uh, to the ground down to ground level, there was a wall that went across at that point, and then there was another wall that was about a half a mile to almost three quarters of a mile uh, further out uh, away from the mountains, and that wall went all the way to the end, and then there were two gates, one on each side. And the passageway between the two walls was called the Way of Jericho. And that was the main thoroughfare that uh, went from the Galilee down to Judea or from actually from Damascus to Jerusalem. And it went that direction. And so um, inside of the inner wall and the inner wall itself was a wall about 100 feet uh, tall, 120 feet tall actually, and uh, it was about 50 feet wide, made out of granite, and uh, had a single gate in the center. And then uh, uh, beyond that wall was the main city. Now there was no uh, traffic that was allowed, no horse traffic, chariot traffic was allowed in that city except on two major streets. The rest of it was all pedestrian and pedestrian uh, traffic. The streets were laid out in a kind of a checkerboard 
form and it was absolutely magnificent. The, uh, the streets themselves were lined with uh, orange trees and with, uh, and with palm trees, with uh, limes and lemon trees. And then between these trees, uh, there were uh, vanilla violets and um, as well as uh, uh, balm uh, palms. And uh, in fact, Ovid was so impressed with the city that he said that the gods inhabit the place because even the very scent of the city is godly. And so it was a magnificent study, uh, a city that was uh, at this time. All of the major players in politics and um, in, in the emperorships and so forth had palaces there. Herod Atopus had a palace, Herod the Great. Uh, of course, Cleopatra had a palace there. There's no indication she ever visited, but it was given to her and she had a palace there. Mark Anthony had one there, Tiberius. Uh, Augustus Caesar had a palace there, and it was uh, it was basically the playground for the for the rich and famous, and they also had some very strict, very very strict uh, regulations on who was going to own property there and who was going to own uh, any type of palace that was there. You had to have a a, a worth uh, in present day. Uh, goods, uh, present-day uh, numerical value, uh, you would have to have an estate of over $10 million to even qualify to buy property or to build in that city. And so it was a an extremely, extremely wealthy city. It was also an education center. There were over 70 institutions of higher learning there. We call them universities or or uh, uh, philosophy schools and teaching schools. There were also uh, there were 170 different uh, religious establishment temples and gods and goddesses palaces and those types of things. And it was a uh, it, it was something that was uh, a absolutely uh, unbelievable something that's unmatched any place in the world today. You couldn't go there, you couldn't go inside of the city uh, without a invitation from uh, a person who lived in the city or a Roman official. Now on the outside of that inner wall, uh, there was this uh, long uh, street. It was basically a highway, uh, half a mile to three quarters of a mile wide. And then on the outside, you had the outside wall. Now, between these two walls is where all of the, the uh, what they call the uh, traffickers uh, were, that's where they were. Uh, you, would, uh, you could sell your goods in there. You could uh, put up car, uh, little uh, places where you can sell vegetables or or some of your wares that you uh, that you make or or whatever. It was also on between those two walls, where uh, beggars could beg, and beggars were not allowed in the city of of Jericho. But that street area was considered a part of Jericho, and so all of the beggars had to. 
uh, stay within that particular area. And it was also there that they had what they call the Pillar of Recompense. And the Pillar of Recompense was one that was uh, managed by the clerk of recompense. Emmaus Irenaeus was the clerk of, of recompense at this particular time in uh, Jesus's ministry that he came to this spot. And what the pillar of recompense does is that in any Roman city of a population of 10,000 or more, if you had a problem with someone uh, in the city, with a neighbor or a, uh, someone, a, a business person or whatever, and you couldn't resolve this issue. It could, it could, you could never come to grips with, uh, with a, an agreement between the, the parties. Then, then you could go to the pillar of recompense on the outside of the city. And at that point, you would take your shoe off and you would hit that pillar of recompense and it would be uh, dusting your feet from the city off is what that meant. And when you did that, you said, I relieve myself of resolving this problem. And so the clerk of recompense is there and he's there recording everything, all the events, what brought you to that point and what is needed from you. Well, you go back to your home and for the next 45 days, there's an investigation that is brought out by the Roman government. And this clerk of recompense is the one who uh, kicks this thing off, the investigation off. Now, after these 45 days, if it's determined that you have a case and it's determined that you have been abused, then the ones who did it has to pay you four times the amount that is owed. And if he does not pay, or if there's some reason why they skip out on the payment of some sort, then they will spend 14 years in Roman prison and have all of their properties confiscated. But if it's determined after this investigation that you really are padding this issue, that you really didn't don't have a case, then you have to pay the person you're accusing three times more than what is asked. And so not only is this clerk of recompense there to, uh, to take care of this business, but he's also the public recorder. If there's anything that goes on in the city, uh, anything that happens in this city that's of major consequences, that involves major players in the city, then he records these things. And Arrhenius and his records uh, are, on, uh, uh, are on catalog at the Vatican uh, uh, Museum in uh, Vatican City. And uh, he records this event about Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Roman government. He was an Idumean, which means that he was from an Arabic background, which 
does relate to Abraham, as you probably well know, and when, uh, when Jesus actually refers to this. So let's look at this story of Zacchaeus, and we see it in the 19th chapter of the book of Luke. Verse number one, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans or tax collectors, and he was rich. Uh, history tells us that uh, the total worth of Zacchaeus was about $243 million in today's money standards. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little in stature. Obviously, Jesus had received some type of uh, invitation that he was allowed in the city. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place or to the tree, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Other translation says, I will have dinner with you. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood, and this was during the, the meal, during the entertainment of Jesus, and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusations, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day of salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. And he was a son of Abraham, he was Arabic. So he was the son of Abraham through Hagar and Ishmael. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, according to the historical records, we know that Zacchaeus did pay back 47 million to the poor and to those that he had ripped off through his tax uh, uh, activities. And so he did do what he said he was going to do. But notice that he committed to do this before Jesus said salvation had come to him. And so just because Jesus was there, because Jesus showed up, it convinced Zacchaeus to open his pocketbook and to give back that that he had stolen plus four times more than he had stolen and to seek forgiveness for his past indebtedness to God. And so 
I think it's quite interesting that when you, uh, when you look at this scenario, it is even uh, relative today. You know, some churches, some pastors, some people in churches, they say, well, you know, we haven't had anyone uh, accept Christ for uh, a number of months or a mon number of years in our church. Well, <laughs> maybe it's because Jesus is not there. Because when he's there, then the natural flow of events is conviction. And when Jesus is there, then it's naturally, Jesus doesn't have to say a word. It's naturally so beneficial that even that person who is hard-hearted and a sinner is changed. And he commits to make a life change that nothing else can match. And such is the case of Zacchaeus. Now we know through history that Zacchaeus did just exactly what he said he was going to do. And not only that, from his own personal wealth, he funded much of the early church in that particular area after Jesus had ascended to heaven. In fact, there were two churches that were established in Jericho and Zacchaeus funded both of them. And not only that, he funded the missionary efforts that spread the gospel of Christ all the way up into what is present day Georgia, present day Armenia, and present day Afghanistan and Pakistan. And that was funded by Zacchaeus. It, his heart truly was changed just because Jesus was there. He was very excited to see him. And Arrhenius recorded this event. He recorded everything that went on and recorded how uh, Zacchaeus reacted. And so once again, as many times before, the Roman historians, those that record the history for the Roman government, the events that happened during the life and the ministry of Jesus, again, is confirmed. Not that it proves the Bible is correct. The Bible doesn't have to be proven. It's the Word of God, period. But it just confirms the fact that the Word of God has always been true. And so this is the case in this particular issue, that Zacchaeus was wanting to see Jesus. Jesus, regardless of what was said about him, he was criticized for going to eating with sinners, and the, uh, going to be with the tax collectors. And kind of like, um, you know, in today's world, we certainly wouldn't be uh, on the best of friends as if we invited our, the head IRS agent in America to come and have dinner at your house. And so it was something that just was not uh, done at that time. And uh, they accused Jesus of, of uh, compromising and they belittled him for, uh, for accepting this invitation and for going to Zacchaeus's house. But Jesus went anyway. And so he is for, for us. 
when Jesus is present, there is a difference that is made. And the difference is phenomenal. And in the case of Zacchaeus, the change was so outstanding and so unique that it remained for the rest of his life. And we know that Zacchaeus did die in Jericho. He funded one of the first hospitals for the public that has ever been uh, funded in the history of mankind. And he stayed there and he made a difference for the higher levels of Roman government and the higher echelon of the extremely wealthy that were not only in Jericho, but touched all of the Eastern Roman world. And so in our lives, where does Jesus fit in? Are you wealthy? Do you thank the Lord for that wealth? Or are we in a position that says, I did this. God had nothing to do with it. It was my work, my ideas, my efforts that brought all these funds into my bank account. No, it was not. It was the fact that you were blessed by God. You were blessed and the Lord saw the talents that you had in management and so forth and he gave you this opportunity. Now, what are you gonna do with it? Zacchaeus wasn't a believer. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was not a believer, did not become a believer uh, until, uh, until Jesus had been in his presence for a while. And so when Jesus is there, he makes a difference. And so not only did Zacchaeus spend a great portion of his estate in producing and enhancing the gospel and spreading the gospel, but the Lord increased into his supply much, much more than what he had. When he originally had the, uh, the original estate of 240 plus uh, million, that increased to over 700 million that he had that he spent before the end of his life because God blessed him and because God was concerned about him. So where Jesus is, he always blesses. You may not become a millionaire. You may not have millions to your name. You may not have boats and planes and houses and riches, but you will have what God wants you to have. And you will have what he expects for you to use for his glory and for his benefit. And so Jesus went to Jericho, not to minister to Herod, not to minister to Cleopatra, not to minister to Augusta, not to minister to Tiberius Caesar not to minister to all these high levels of government. He went to minister to a tax collector, to a man who did not have a, a good reputation, a man who is hated by most people, 
a man who is despised by everyone else except more and other tax collectors and the Roman administration. But Jesus went there for the purpose of ministering to him. And when Jesus showed up, there absolutely was a difference that was made in his life. You know, we've been ministering in the Islamic world now for about 30 years. Not only do we minister in Egypt, but we also use Egypt as a springboard into other Islamic countries, to Iran, to Syria, Sudan, Libya, and various other Islamic countries in the Middle East. And it has not been uh, a picnic by no means, but God has always ministered. He has always helped. You know, there are times that we were down to zero, but God always intervened and God always met the need. So many times we were uh, seeking him and where we go now, what do we do now? And then he provided the opportunity, he provided the answers to the prayers and we were uh, given resources or given uh, opportunities to uh, collect resources that was totally impossible for us to receive, but we did it anyway. And sometimes God even supplied that need through Islamic people, through, uh, uh, through administrators, through uh, bankers that were devout Muslim. But Jesus moved on their heart and they responded. And so where Jesus is, there is a difference. And he can make a difference in your life. He's made a difference in many, many, many Islamic people that we minister to. Some of them had, have to face persecution. Some have faced death as a result of accepting Jesus into their hearts. But yet Jesus is always there for peace. He's always there to minister to them. And so give him a chance. Put him as the center of your life. Come down out of your sycamore tree and let Jesus be the center and you'll be amazed of, the, of the, what he can do for you. Welcome to Canaan, a small indigenous community here on the west coast of Colombia. In recent years, Canaan has grown tremendously. The people here have a heart for God and for sharing His love. This is where the Cubit Foundation does their work. Over the years, Cubit has worked on developing the community in many ways and by doing so, they've developed personal relationships and bonds that will last a lifetime. When you come, any person, a foreigner, 
lo recibimos con mucho amor, recibimos con mucho aprecio, con mucho afecto, porque sabiendo que si esta persona viven tan lejos, no nos conoce y nos viene a visitar, eso para nosotros es muy satisfactorio y, y, y toca mi corazón de una manera especial. Brad Charles is one of the leaders behind Cubit and their work in Canaan, Colombia. His passion is for helping people in need around the world and doing God's work out here on the mission field. The Cubit Foundation has done some incredible work here thus far. And God's presence is truly evident. Cubit has taken part in service to the village of Canaan. And with your help, Cubit will continue to serve them and many more around the world. When people give to Cubit, I want them to go. I want them to go with me. And I want them to experience this. Hi, I'm Dr. Ron Charles of the Cubit Foundation. You know, we've been in Middle East for going on 30 years. And I would love to come to your church or your meeting to let you know what's happening uh, in reality in the Middle East. And uh, we'd love to come there and let you know what's happening, what the Lord's doing in that part of the world. So if you can contact us at thecubitfoundation.org, then we could come to your place. And if you would like to find out more about us, then go to www.cubitfoundation.org. Thank you. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.